Welcome to another exciting installment of Just a Podcast. My name is Just Bob, and this time around, I thought we would try something a little bit different. I thought maybe getting out of the studio environment might trigger some new and different sort of ideas, and so I recorded this episode sitting on my patio at about 3 in the morning. That's when I do my best thinking, you know. (laughs) And what you are about to hear is your basic garden variety stream of consciousness, complete with uh, the sound of birds chirping in the background. Um, You know, just thought it would be fun to try something different. I'll leave it up to you to judge how it goes. But here goes. I haven't seen the Eternals, but I really want to because I was a big fan of them in the comics. You know, the Eternals didn't really have their own books. They they had a limited series, and then they popped up in other books. You know, they popped up in the Avengers a lot, and they popped up in the Fantastic Four, and... Uh, So they they weren't uh, what I would call uh, an obvious choice for a standalone Marvel movie. So when it was announced, I was I was very interested because I thought you know here's a chance for them to really do something unexpected and and different and. Uh, kind of out of left field and you had a property that was not as well known as the Avengers and the X-Men and and Spider-Man you know this was like something I mean it wasn't even I wouldn't even call it like B tier it was more like C tier (laughs) you know what I mean but I, one of the things that I always really liked about the Eternals was Thena. She was one of my favorite characters because, she, to me, she was like the perfect representation of a flawed leader. You know, she, um, she inherited the leadership of the Eternals. She was the daughter of Zorus. And Zorus was pretty much the embodiment of the cliche of the perfect leader. I mean, he was literally flawless. You know, he was uh, bold. Uh, he was uh, intelligent. He was strong. He was a great fighter. He was uh, extremely charismatic. And Thena was basically none of these things. <laughs> You know, she was almost ordinary, but, I mean, she was an Eternal, so she was really beautiful and super-powered, but, you know, she she was a, a flawed. Her personal life was messy with Crow and and uh, and all of that, you know, being uh, in love with a, a, a Deviant, like their, their swarm mortal enemies. You know, these things were very interesting to me, and... Uh, you know, she was a very much a flawed leader, but she 
overcame that to some degree by being so committed and uh, willing to die for her people, which is what her father did, you know. So she has this almost impossible legacy to live up to. And I think on some level, she understood that it would be impossible to measure up to Zorus on his own terms <laughs> because he had all of these qualities that she didn't have. And so she just did what she could do. And again, I think that's a great example of uh, understanding your own limitations and working within them. And I think there is definitely something to be said to that. And this was not something that anybody explained to me at the age of 12, <laughs> which is when I was reading these comics. Uh, it's just something that made some kind of inherent sense to me. And uh, I, I never really gave it that much thought, you know. But I remember when the Eternals movie was announced and... They said that Angelina Jolie would be playing Fina. I was very excited because I, I knew that Angelina Jolie was uh, an actress who could bring the proper gravitas to a part like that. I knew she could do it. You know, so I was very excited about it. It's like you really couldn't have picked a better casting choice for that role. You know, I thought she was the perfect person for it, and, and I, I still do. I'm, I'm excited to see the movie. I don't even know what platform it's on. That's the problem these days. You know, everything is on a platform, and there are... I have subscriptions to most of the good ones. I mean, I have Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime, and... <clears throat> but I... I do not have um, HBO Max, and I don't have Disney Plus. Those are the two that I really want. <laughs> I really want because there are a lot of things on them that I want to see. Um, you know about the, the all the Marvel um, stuff and the Star Wars stuff on on Disney Plus. I mean, I would I would you know I'd watch all that stuff and. And uh, HBO Max, they've got, uh, aside from a bunch of great movies, um, they also have, uh, like, original shows. You know, a lot of good ones, like uh, The Sopranos and Six Feet Under and... Uh, I'm drawing a blank, of course, right now, but there's a bunch of them, <laughs> and I watched a number. Those were the two that I was the most a fan of. I remember watching the, well, both of those shows, but I remember specifically the first, watching the first season of The Sopranos and, and uh, like, all week just sitting there like, you know, come on, <laughs> you were, like, looking forward to Sunday for, like, the first time ever. Sunday was like once once you start adulting Sunday is like the worst day of the week because it's like this sort of Damocles hanging over your head that's the work day you know it's like looming it's breathing down your neck and so uh, 
you know, and that's for me personally, I just came to dread Sunday. But when the first season of The Sopranos was airing, I was extremely excited about Sunday because I got to see the next episode. And it was the same thing with, with Six Feet Under. And with Sopranos, I was, I was, uh, edge of the seat for the first season, uh, with, uh, Six Feet Under, it was like the first three seasons. I mean, I really got pulled in by that show. I really, really liked it. And, uh... In fact, that was the reason why when I moved into... Um... Uh, what was it called? Uh, Woodlawn. <laughs> I could not think of the name for a minute there. When I moved in to Woodlawn, I got... I got cable. Because... Neither wanted to pay for it. They, uh, I guess they didn't watch enough TV to, but me, I watched a lot of TV. I've always watched a lot of TV. So I, I moved in and I was like, well, <laughs> you know, obviously we, we're going to, we need to get cable. And they were like, "Well, we don't have cable because we don't want to. We don't watch enough TV to pay for it." Was, well, I do. I watch enough TV to pay for it. And I, and what I, what ended up happening was I got a, a TV wired up in the living room for them to use. And I got TV wired up in the basement, which was mine. And I think the way it worked out was I paid half of the bill and then they split the other half of the bill. So each of them only paid 25% of the cable bill, which came out to no more than $20 or so a piece. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't much. And, uh, and that was fine. I, I was cool with that. That was, uh, you know, that was a workable solution. And I did not have an overabundance of money in those days. I was working at Apple Ford in Columbia. I was a lot attendant. And that was like... Uh, It wasn't like a minimum wage job, but it wasn't much more than that. It was, uh, I was making like six and a quarter an hour. So, you know, my, my rent on the, the, the basement in the Woodlawn house was not outrageous. So that was the thing. I'd had to. I had to move out of uh, uh, town and country because I couldn't afford the rent on my own. The rent there was two bedroom apartment. The rent there was like five hundred something. It's not far off from what I'm paying now, though. I'll say that it's less than a hundred dollars difference. 
than what I'm paying now for a one bedroom place in Greencastle, you know, 20, <laughs> 25 years later. I can only imagine what this place was renting for in the 90s. I'm sure it was dirt-ash cheap, though. I probably could have afforded it while what I was making then. So, yeah, so, my, you know, I didn't have uh, an overabundance of money, so paying for the cable was clearly a, <laughs> a big deal because I was willing to spend money on it. And I, you know, I think back on that time and the first thing that I remember is 7-Eleven. <laughs> it's like half my meals came from 7-Eleven. They had this and I'm sure, you know what, if at least one person who hears this says, yes, I remember that, then it'll all be worth it. But there was a, uh, they had this, at 7-Eleven, they had this, um, it was like a microwave cheeseburger. And it was called the Biggin. And it was, it was two burger patties and... Uh, nacho cheese and cheddar cheese and uh, chili, like hot dog, you know, like chili dog chili. And this was like the greatest burger of all time. I mean, it was like, it was the best stoner food ever created. And I ate this for dinner, I don't know, two, three nights a week. And then another two, three nights a week they had, it was uh, the chicken bacon ranch sub. It was also a, a microwave sandwich. Chicken bacon ranch, yeah. And I, I ate those a lot too. I mean, this is, it's horrible junk food, you know, that's what I was living on and uh, so that's the first thing that that springs to mind when I want to think about that period of time and the other is so I'm I'm at home one Saturday yeah, it was like a Saturday afternoon and If it is the weekend, then I am doing one of a couple things. Um, I'm most likely a band practice. In the 90s, I, I was, that was, took up all my weekend time for the most part. Only at that particular time, the band was split. And it was a bad, it was a bad time. <laughs> For me it was a bad time for me and uh, so I was at home and because my group of friends and the band were kind of tied up together uh, the band was split so I really wasn't hanging out with anybody at that point I was just 
I was at home and uh, drinking beer, maybe ordered a pizza. There was this uh, pizza shop there in Woodlawn called Keani's that Michelle and I were both fans of. And I would, uh, most of the time I ordered pizza. They had good pizza. They had pretty good subs too. And, uh, and wings, you know. Um, but yeah, I was, I was at home and, uh, I ran out of beer. And I had, I had started that weekend. Friday, I went to, uh, went to the liquor store on Route 40 there at the shopping center at Rolling Road. And I got a, a cube of Bud. And, you know, I went to that liquor store even though it was out of my way at that point because it was familiar to me. Because when I... I, I lived in Mount Ridge. Oh, wait, this was before I lived in Mount Ridge. I think it was just on the way at that point. <laughs> I later developed an attachment to, to that liquor store because it was convenient when I lived in Mount Ridge, which was a, an apartment complex in Catonsville. And the cool thing about living there for me was it, it had a, a, a good proximity to all kinds of places. You know, it was it was uh, right outside of the city, so all of the the Baltimore stuff was pretty easily accessible. It was right off the Beltway, and uh, it was just a nice really central location to the places that I I was going to, you know. And uh But yeah, I uh <laughs> at, there was this one liquor store. I would go there and I was just I was dead broke. You know, I, I was, like I said earlier, I was working at Apple Ford at the time, and it was not a really well-paying job. It, wa it was, most of the time, it was a fun job, because I drove the shuttle, and so I was out on, on the street <laughs> most of the day, and I was the... The, the parts and service director, this guy, Rick Martin, he, he preferred me to do the shuttle runs as opposed to any of the other lot attendants because I had such a an encyclopedic knowledge of the streets in Columbia. And the thing you, you got to understand about the streets in Columbia is that they all have extremely bizarre names and there are stories about why that is some of them must be apocryphal 
but one thing that I strongly believe is true because I've heard it from a number of sources is that uh, uh, in order to get the approval from the county zoning board to build Columbia, they had to agree uh, that no street names would be duplicated from Baltimore or D.C. And so what they did was the, the neighborhoods were named after literary references. And a lot of it was like things like stories you know and stuff like that some of them were authors so you had like Wild Lake the village was named after Oscar Wilde which is pretty hysterical given what I've learned about Oscar Wilde as an adult they just named a whole neighborhood after him in Columbia and it's such a it's such a liberal place that nobody even questioned it. I mean, I still think that's funny. Uh, but, you know, one of them, one of the neighborhoods is called Longfellow, and you had uh, Elliot's Oak, which is T.S. Elliot's. I mean, every, it, it all, you know, they, there was a lot of literary references in there. And so... Uh, To, to to have a, a, a knowledge of the of these far out bizarro street names, um, you had to have a familiarity with it. And of course, I grew up in Columbia, so I, I my entire childhood and early teen years was spent exploring. You know, just just covering every square inch of the bike paths. And there were miles and miles and miles of bike paths. You know, you could devote an entire weekend to exploring the bike paths and not even cover a quarter of them. And that, that was, you know, that's how I got everywhere. You know, I would go to the, the village center, which was about, it's about three, two, three miles from the house. I mean, it wasn't too far, but it wasn't, like, right around the corner either. You know, the Wawa was about a half mile away. I mean, it seemed like a hike when I was a little kid, but it really wasn't that far. I mean, you can drive that distance in probably two minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not that far. And uh, the mall. And the thing about the mall, because the, coming from Thunder Hill, the mall was like you go to the village center and just beyond the village center was a path that went down behind Tour and then there was a footbridge that went over Route 29, just behind the lake. And then the path went like around the lake 
and then up and then there was another footbridge that went over Little Patuxent Parkway and then there's a staircase and it went up to the mall and so you could get from where my house was to the mall and not have to cross any major roads you know because on the bike paths they didn't cross they didn't cross streets you know they they had tunnels under them or they had bridges over them but you know there was there's a crossing at thunderhill with a, a crosswalk there's a couple of those but not many you know like the path goes under uh, Rouse Parkway and there's a tunnel underneath and there's another tunnel that goes under Thunder Hill Road and so you could get anywhere in town and never cross the street or you know only cross one or two streets and uh, and that's what I did uh, you know when I was from from the time I was nine till I was 15 16 either on a bicycle or on a skateboard uh, you know I I I uh, explored every inch of the bike paths and uh, you know I had a blast doing it I mean that's I think where where my road geek tendencies originated <laughs> that and uh, when I was uh, little my uh, my grandfather my grandfather retired when I was about five or six and uh, after that he uh, he was big like doing like errands and things you know he would just uh, he'd be out and about during the day just really to have something to do and he would take me along a lot of the time and so we would he'd ask me alright we're going to this place how would you get there and I would I'd give him directions I would tell him what streets to take because I knew him <laughs> because we'd been down all of them so like anywhere I mean we're talking you know Philadelphia is a pretty pretty big city and uh, all around Fishtown and Kensington and Port Richmond and even parts of Center City, uh, you know, I knew I knew where everything was. Everything. You could you could blindfold me and drop me on any block anywhere in the city, and I would be able to find my way to any other point. I'm a little more rusty about some of that stuff now because 
it's been years. I remember going, because I try and get back to Philly every year, if for no other reason than to just kind of like renew my relationship with it. <laughs> I guess that sounds kind of weird. But, uh, just to kind of experience it again. And I do the same thing in Colombia. I like going back there and and just sort of re-experiencing all these familiar locations. You know, I think there's something to be said for that. I, I, I know from... You know, the, the thing is for me, you know, I've lived in Greencastle for 10 years. But this is a place that I came to. You know, I'm not from here. So, to some degree, I will always have, like, an outsider's perspective. Which is interesting. You know, being in Columbia when I was a kid, it was the same way. Because we moved there from Philadelphia. And there was uh, an element of culture shock involved for me. Because it was very different, you know. In Philly, it was all it was row houses and city streets, and and that's what I knew. That was what was familiar to me. And we went to Columbia, and it was like, you know, driveways and garages and detached houses, and it was a really a suburban kind of feel to it. And and I thrived in in that environment. So having both I think was a good thing for me you know I mean you know like your your childhood it, it is what it is <laughs> you know what I mean it's like it is what it is so you uh, you know you don't have anything to compare it to <laughs> because your experience is limited to what you personally go through. Which makes sense. I mean, it's the same way for everybody, but it, it, it just means that you, you have a very limited perspective. And, and for me, I, I spent half my childhood in a major inner city and half in a very... A, a very different place to that <laughs> you know I was a plant community and was like um, oh you know it was like uh, like a like a real like a suburban kind of place you know and it was it was just a, a very different the attitudes were very different everything was different and because I was so young. I mean, I was nine years old when we moved. And so you're you're still malleable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're 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 much more adaptable. I think we lose a lot of our ability to adapt as we progress through adulthood. You know, you you sort of like become 
more set in your ways and less adaptable. I mean, that really is the best word for it. You, 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 you're just, you, your mind is less malleable. And so, uh, adapting to situations becomes that much more difficult. And I'm not a spring chicken, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 48 years old here in a few months. So I kind of understand that. I feel like I was, I was a late bloomer in a lot of sense. You know, I was 33 years old when I got into radio and, uh, I don't want to rehash my bio for you. You can see that on the website, but well, like, like the web page you're listening to this on, just look up. <laughs> there it is. But anyway, uh, oh man, what was I saying? I lost my train of thought. I totally lost my train of thought. I was talking about. Uh, well, the, the culture shock. Yes, I mentioned that, right? About, uh, you know, being from Philadelphia and going to Columbia and how different... Oh, it's the same thing here. Yeah. Because uh, I'm, not, I'm not from here. You know, I, I was... 34, 35 when I moved to Greencastle. And it's a, a great place to live. I do really like it here, but it's, it's, you know, there's a certain thing about living in a small town that I was not prepared for. <laughs> I was definitely not prepared for. And it is almost at the point sometimes where I feel like I need to remind the people around me, you know, like, hey, I'm from a city. <laughs> this is not normal to me. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've adapted pretty well, I guess, but... I do feel like, I, you know, I was a late bloomer and, you know, I, I, I can't help but think that it's had a, a positive effect. I do. I think it's been a beneficial thing because it gives me a, a unique perspective, just like, uh, you know, uh, being from somewhere like Philly and my, spending my formative years in Fishtown and and then going to, to Columbia after that and how different it was. Being in situations like that can be really beneficial because it it forces you to adapt. It forces you to um, pick up your pace, you know what I mean? so you don't get left behind. And that was something, I feel like I spent a lot of time doing that. And to get to a point where you feel like, because in a, in a weird way, you never outrun your childhood. 
I mean, I, I, we've gone way off on a tangent here. I think you know what I mean. You know, it's like, uh, in in a certain way, everybody deals with that. I, re I remember starting middle school, and it was like this traumatic experience for me. And it was the same thing, starting elementary school after we moved, because I didn't know... If, you know, I'd never gone to public school, so I didn't really know. And it just, the whole idea of it just, just scared me to death. And starting middle school, starting high school, starting college, like starting school is just like a traumatic memory for me from front to back. It's the whole thing of it. <laughs> I think that's why I have such fond recollections of broadcasting school, because it was so much different and better than any school experience that I'd had. And I looked forward to it. I mean, I was drinking the whole time. Like, I went to broadcasting school in uh, Crystal City Arcade, Arlington, Virginia. And uh, at the time I was working as a land surveyor at a company based in Burtonsville, Maryland. That's uh, Montgomery County. So I would get off of work and uh, because I was living in, in Catonsville, Baltimore County, it, it would not have made sense for me to get off work, go home, and then go to school. You know, I would have been going 30 miles in the wrong direction. So I would get off work, and then I would just start heading towards D.C. And that was an adventure in itself, because there are several alternative routes you can take to traverse between those two locations. None of them are convenient at all. So it's it's not simply a matter of do you wish to go out of your way because you're definitely going to go out of your way. It's a question of by how far. And so uh, as backwards as this might seem, the, the best route I came up with was uh, taking the, the west side of the Capitol Beltway um, to the George Washington Parkway. So you go over the American Legion Bridge and then you get on the George Washington Parkway going east and follow it uh, almost the whole length and then uh, 
you go to Jefferson Davis Highway and then uh, Crystal City Arlington is right off of there and it was going from Burtonsville to uh, Arlington was, uh, was about an hour and a half and you know if you were to make that trip on all empty highways which I never saw <laughs> and I took that trip at all hours of the day and night because they had uh, you could sign up for uh, class like studio time and so I would show up at you know Sunday mornings and just, just weird times and work on things so I was making that trip you know and it was going from home as opposed to going from work was a different situation like I would coming from home I would get on the BW Parkway I would follow the BW Parkway the whole way and the DC end of the BW Parkway uh, spit you out onto uh, uh, Route 295, which becomes I-295, which runs back into the, the Beltway. And uh, you get off of there, and then you would like go across DC, so get on New York Avenue going westbound, and reach I don't even remember anymore. But it was like this bunch of surface streets. And eventually you get to the 14th Street Bridge. And then cross 14th Street Bridge into Virginia. And then it's like five minutes from there. So the practical upshot of all this was that out of necessity to some extent, I learned numerous different routes to get to school. And I uh, made a game of it. You know, I never went the same way twice. And, uh, but I would, I, would, I would get there and then I'd go to 7-Eleven and I would, I would get beer. It was either a 40, like a 40 of Budweiser or like a six pack and I would uh, I would get like like a big gulp cup <laughs> fill it with beer sometimes I would fill up the cup and take the cup of beer in with me so I'd be sitting there in class drinking beer the whole time and I don't know if any of my classmates ever realized it. I don't know if Burke ever realized it.
but there were nights when I was close to pissy-ass drunk. I'm sure somebody noticed. I can't believe nobody noticed. I'm not proud of it, mind you, but it happened. And then when I went in there to go in the studio, it was the same thing. I would sit there. Sometimes I would I would have the, the beer in the studio with me and Apparently, nobody noticed, which I find that hard to believe, but nobody said anything about it, which makes sense. I mean, honestly, put yourself in that position. Would you want to deal with something like that? Of course not. Who would? Nobody would. I think we've talked long enough, haven't we? <laughs> Thank you for joining me. This has been Just a Podcast. I am Just Bob. Until next time.